0: Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. What's the best topping for a portion of chips? Who from the City Report podcast universe would win a WWE Royal Rumble? And what's the earliest time it's socially acceptable to start drinking on Saturday? All of that before we even start to speak about the football. It's Tuesday the 6th of June. It's your final listener question special of the season. I'm Amos Murphy.
1: I'm Adam Booker.
0: And this is the City Report podcast. <laughs>
1: extraordinary guy, Sergio Aguero.
0: Unbelievable. Manchester United 1, Manchester City
2: 6. It's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible.
0: A big thank you to our sponsor, Discount Dragon, the best place to find bargains as good as Julian Alvarez with food, drink and household products all available for affordable prices. If you want to make even more savings on the big brands at better value, you can get an extra 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. That's 5% off all orders with the code CityPodSave. Limited time only, terms and conditions apply, UK only. Adam, welcome to the show. Uh, Quite the weekend, I'm led to believe. I'm still recovering from it financially, physically, mentally, um, emotionally. You can add that in there as well. But City beat Manchester United in an FA Cup final. City beat Manchester United in an FA Cup final. I never thought I'd even say them words ever in a million years. So it feels nice. It feels relieved to be able to say them.
1: It does, yeah. Um, still, still kind of reeling from from that day. And as I mentioned on the show last week, I think you know it was seven AM kickoff for me, and then 30 was my own local derby, Seattle and Portland. So it was a day filled with with a lot of nerves and a lot of uh, a lot of hatred in the blood. But uh, yeah, a, a joyous occasion and. Obviously, I listened to the episode you did with Ali uh, and Oliver yesterday, and kind of share the sentiment there that it was just you know the kind of game you just get the job done, and thank God it's over, and thank God we came out on the uh, the winning side.
0: Yeah, because I'm just thinking what it'd been like had. Had we lost the sort of the feeling of doom building up into this week, I feel like it probably, and we'll get into some Champions League final talk, but it probably just takes that edge off a little bit. It makes things a little bit calmer, a bit a little bit sweeter. Obviously, for those heading out to Istanbul and those not, it just means everything's a little bit more relaxed. And hopefully, this show serves to to add to that because, like I said at the top, it is a listener question special. It is going to be the sort of the buffer between FA Cup and Champions League content, which will start tomorrow in earnest as always in these sort of things we put out a tweet asking for questions we've had plenty so if we start with this one from radar H, hz they ask what is the top five things to put on your chips and i feel like every single listener question episode we get there is always a chips related question and for global listeners we're going for the uk version here the potato the deep fried potato snack i think you call them fries or something like that but they're not fries because fries are much thinner but proper Proper northern chips. What's the what's your favourite thing to put on your chips?
1: Well, so this I think is, and this is uh, I mean I mean the pun here. This is a loaded question um, because <laughs> we don't do the same thing with chips slash fries that you guys do. We don't have different types of sauces like brown sauce or curry sauce or anything mm. that we put on. It's more of dipping sauces. And there's pretty classic American dipping sauces like ketchup, mustard, mayo, stuff mm. like that. My personal, I, c- I couldn't, genuinely couldn't even name you five to answer the question. I couldn't name but you Well,
0: that, that's what I replied was like, there's more than I could possibly give you three.
1: Yeah. Maybe four. My go to chip slash french fried dipping sauce is may Equal Mixed parts, up together. mayo and ketchup. Mix it all up into a little orange cream and then dip it. Do
0: you, do you, do they have that so you mix it together yourself because over here I mix is, it I together Heinz. I'm I'm you sure you can buy it th- yeah. together though can't you yeah yeah
1: you can buy a, there there's this one aisle in in my local grocery store that has just all these random concoctions from Heinz um mm. but I I mix them together because I'm an adult and I don't need to buy everything <laughs> pre-made for myself <laughs> Have you um when
0: you've had your ventures over into this country I presume you've had proper gravy before
1: that pauses. Yes. That pauses. Concerning, yes. man. no, you know, because I got. I, I'll for full transparency. I just rolled out of bed, and I, in my head, I got mixed up with gravy. I my my partner Laura is comes from an Italian New York family, and gravy to them is actually sauce like on pasta. That's what they call the sauce, like red sauce How that weird. Italians put on pasta. They call it gravy in the northeast of America, yeah. and I got very confused for a second. Yeah, yeah, I've had. Had gravy. Every time I go over I get a Sunday roast. So Thoughts? Uh amazing. I mean it's the same gravy as here. We have it on our Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, stuff like that. So yeah, it's um it's a delicate. But on chippy
0: chips though. On on proper um, proper chippy chips. Oh man, this is concerning me. I was expecting a straight a straight bar. I
1: think I, I have, but I don't know that it it stuck with me. Well, I think that, it's the that, kind of thing that it's like two things that I just, I know the flavor of and it's, uh, there's no surprises when they enter my mouth together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's the only acceptable answer really. Um, Sodji five. I think that's, that's probably where you can get to curry sauce does sometimes hit well. And again, for global listeners, it is not the curry sauce that you would might expect, which actually tastes like curry. It is anything but it's like a sort of spicy chip shop curry sauce. Something like that. I won't even know where to begin. Um, but yeah, chips and gravy, I think, with a nice a nice buttered balm. And that's a different debate, so we won't even start that one. Um, we've had a question from Anna, and this one really made me laugh. They ask, who in the City Report podcast universe, as I mentioned at the top, would win if they were taking part in a WWE-type wrestling match? So I've done a bit of preparation, and I've actually put all of the people I can think of that have either obviously contributed to the show or have been on the show because I don't think we had enough to make a full bracket. I've stuck them into a tournament. And this is how it's going to work, Adam. You're gonna tell me, I'm gonna give you two people. You're gonna tell me who you think would win from those, and then we're gonna try and get to final and see who would win a WWE City Report, what should you call it? The Report Rumble or something like that. Yeah, I that, that I like works. That. Um right, Kev. Okay, so let's start off with you, you can you can be in the ring first. Um Adam Booker versus George Gamble. George. George, straight away, he's not backing him. He's actually Um, one
1: of, up until my trip there in March, he was the only City Report member that I had seen in person, and he is bigger than me, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, less said about that. Um, David versus Alex, Alex Brotherton. David. There's only one winner there, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Alex. Um, Okay, Joe, Joe Ricci versus Oliver Lowe. I like this matchup.
1: I've got to go Oliver Lowe because he is... Astonishingly big,
0: yeah, yeah. He's he's a big man, isn't he? But Joe, I think he'd he'd, he'd pack a punch. You know, he's a little yeah.
1: American
0: Ital- American Italian, so I think he'd give a good good fight. But Ollie Low takes that one. Um, and now this is where this is where I had to do some fillers because we didn't have the obviously we've got another side of the bracket to come. But on this side of the bracket, we've got um, the ginger wig, Anthony. Versus um, uh, Mulv from Noisy Neighbours, who will be featuring on the show later in the week. So we've got a, a rogue, a rogue entry there, a bit of a wild card. Who is winning from the Ginger Wig versus Mulv?
1: I, I think I'll say Mulv because every time I've seen <laughs> the Ginger Wig in photos or anything, he just seems like such a happy-go-lucky guy, and I can't <laughs> like, I can't imagine him scrapping with anybody. So I'm going to go Mulv.
0: that's a really funny matchup um right okay on the other side of the bracket then you've got myself yours truly Amos Murphy versus John Ashley
1: I'm gonna go with you I think John is too kind hearted (laughs) to be Um, in in, in a rumble
0: yep Andrew versus Luke
1: (sighs) I feel like Andrew would be way too uh I'm going to say Andrew because I think he's going to have Ooh. a tactical plan that, that could potentially be a dark horse for the final.
2: Ooh,
0: interesting. Or he'll um, just say,
1: hit me and I'll sue you for assault and he'll just <laughs> cheat his way to the final.
0: <laughs> um, Louis Rittle versus Charlie Gordon.
1: Charlie Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Louis. He's
0: sorry, <laughs> <laughs> just about out the womb, let alone ready to fight a WWE battle. Um, Oliver Kirsch versus Ollie McCool. Ollie Kirsch. I'm surprised it took that long. I'm surprised it took that long. This man does fuck. This man does combat. Um Amos versus Andrew. Amos. Ooh, I'm shocked. I didn't expect to be making it this far. Uh Charlie versus Oliver Kirsch.
1: Charlie. He's another deceivingly Charlie. big dude.
0: The South London boy gets through. Um, on the opposite side, then it's George versus David. That is a that is a big ding dong battle there. Yeah,
1: I'm going to say George.
0: George makes it through from that one. David knocked out. Wow. Um, Ollie Low versus Mulv. Sorry, Mulv. I'm, I'm, you've snuck Ollie, your way in here for Ollie one Low. episode. <laughs> Ollie Low, unfortunately, for Mulv. Um, Amos versus Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, right decision there, I have to say. So, Charlie is our first entry into the City Report R- Rumble final. Um, George versus Ollie Lowe. Ollie Lowe. Ollie Lowe. Charlie versus Ollie Lowe. Who takes the crown?
1: A couple of tall, muscular, handsome men. I'm going to say Ollie Lowe.
0: Ollie low takes the w yeah I, I think height alone probably serves him well now i have to say i'm surprised they made it that far um maybe it's just the height again the poor small lads haven't done well in this one adam have they
1: they haven't i feel a little uh i think all, oliver Kirsch will feel hard done by because he <laughs> he goes to the boxing gym multiple days a week i'm yeah. pretty sure but um yeah, if if YouTubers can fight professionally in that sport, then I'm not quite sure I care what you do on a weekly basis.
0: <laughs> yeah, well said. Um, okay, let's rattle through some more of these questions, and we've had one from Bill. And, and this is sort of pivoting towards the match, which we'll speak about in uh, in part two of this podcast. But they say, what is the acceptable time to start drinking on Saturday? Obviously, referencing the final against Inter Milan. I think for UK listeners, it's eight o'clock in the evening kickoff. For Istanbul listeners, which is where the final is, it's 10 p.m. I'm guessing for you, it's midday on the Pacific coast and then probably three o'clock on the East Coast and whatever time in the Central of America. I'm not I'm not up to speed with that one yet.
1: Yeah, it's a, it'll be a noon, midday kickoff here. Typically, for weekend games, if I'm not working, there's no too early to start drinking. Back that in might. the day before I worked weekends and worked in football, when I went to the pub in New York every Saturday or Sunday to watch City play, if it was a 7 a.m. game, I had my breakfast at the pub at 6.30 and I'm drinking by 6.45. Once I get breakfast in me, mm. Guinness is my uh, is my morning drink
0: well it's the same color as coffee so that helps yeah. but um in terms of your plans then um, any anything special for the big game i know you were last time you spoke about it you were sort of just sat in your apartment wallowing away is it is going to Yeah be i'm not
1: um anyone who knows me knows that when it comes to football especially in this country where pubs are mixed the fans are mixed there's no Mm. you know city pub united pub whatever well some cities there are but this there isn't i'm not social or friendly or fun (laughs) to get along with and watch football with so i tend to stay home to avoid any issues so i'll be uh sitting at home with laura watching it then and and if it goes well then maybe i'll have a couple drinks and go out to the pub and try and make some friends (laughs) <laughs> or enemies, yeah, whatever no. you want to call them <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, just make sure you don't see any Italians, that could get a little bit nasty, or, or Joe Ricci for that example who's both, um, right okay then another question that is in more relation to the match, it comes from Abdallah who asks us, does Inter Milan do they present a unique challenge to City, will we have trouble scoring so now we're having to switch on You know, our professional minds, you and I both cover Italian football to some degree they are a very good football team and i think a few people have sort of handed city the trophy handed city the treble handed city sort of this place in mentality in the european and world football on the back of this but it's going to be anything but a simple task for city in my opinion
1: no i've i've held the opinion that once we had these kind of two finals marked off on the calendar i've kind of held the opinion that from an emotional point of view the FA Cup final against United was a bigger mountain to climb, but from a footballing point of view, I think Inter worried me a lot more, especially considering the injuries that United had going into that final. Um, yeah, Inter posed some very unique threats. They're one of very, very, very few teams in the major European leagues that still play with two strikers up top. How City deal with that, we're not quite sure yet. We haven't really sit, seen City team up, uh, play a team this season that plays with two strikers. Um, Inter at the moment are kind of exactly what I pictured with with Jose's Spurs, which, mm. you know, they caused us a lot of issues. They can sit deep. They'll sit with five at the back. And when they break, they can be electric on the break, especially if Lautaro and Lukaku and Chalinoglu and Barella get running at you. So, yeah, it's absolutely a game and a team with a ton, a ton of threats. It's, it's not going to be a cakewalk like many people have, have kind of billed it to be.
0: I agree entirely. Just looking at the final Serie A table, which wrapped on Sunday, Inter Milan finished the season as the second-highest scorers in Serie A. They conceded 42 goals, which is a, a little bit more than the likes of Napoli, who were on 28, Lazio on, on 30. They had a goal difference of plus 29, which was the third best in the league behind those two teams I've just mentioned. And the, the thing is, with Inter Milan, the, the they obviously they were Scudetto winners in twenty twenty one. The season city last lost the Champions League final against Chelsea last year. It was uh, AC Milan who took the who took the mantle as as the league winners. Obviously Napoli this year, but I think they would have really had a good shot at Napoli, who started oh, sorry who Napoli who ended the season really poorly. Into by contrast, started the season really poorly and, and finished it really strongly. Napoli uh, finished on a, on a total of about 16 points clear, I think it was, to second-place Lazio. But I think if the season had started Possibly in the sort of the few weeks leading up to the World Cup break, Inter Milan could have very well won the league themselves. And, and, and I think they're, they're much like sitting in the centre, they're finishing the season in very strong vein of form. They won the Coppa Italia against Fiorentina, who obviously play West Ham uh, tomorrow in the Conference League final. I'm, I think it'll be a horrid game. Truly horrid match. We saw what it was like against uh, United at Wembley, and the sort of the and, and City are ten times the team United are. First ever matchup between these two teams. It's going it's to be, it's going to be a tough evening, I think, and, and and one to sort of really knuckle down. And and, um, and I think City are going to have to break into down. It will probably be a one or two goal game. Just just quickly then, Adam, before we move on. Lukaku versus Edin Dzeko there to sort of centre forward to play alongside Martinez. Which one do you would would you prefer to see? Which one do you think is better, and which one would make for the better narrative?
1: The better narrative. I mean, for the narrative, I hope Edin Dzeko stays as far away from the pitch as possible. Just mm, absolutely. We all we all know what's going to happen if he plays. Um, but he he likely will start. And it's what they've done up to this point is Lukaku and. Um, Joaquin Correa and players like that have come off the bench late in games, and and that's the thing. I, I think Inter are probably the deepest team in Italy, probably deeper than Napoli. I mean they mm-hmm. they can absolutely bring some stars off the bench. World Cup winners, you know, Lukaku, like we said. Um, uh, what's the, Inzaghi has the habit of basically changing both of his strikers and his wing backs on like the seventy fifth minute, seventieth minute of every game. So the the kind of the thrust of their attack is fresh legs in the last twenty minutes of every single game. So, if he does that, then then City have many things to worry about. But yeah, I I would probably rather see Lukaku for the the avoidance of the Jecko narrative.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's pretty much scripted at this point that Eddie Dzeko will score. It's just whether or not City can score more than Eden Dzeko, which I think if someone had told you. 5 years ago would be the the sort of the talking point in the lead up to a Champions League final you'd have laughed.
1: How how does let's say he bags a brace and we lose 2-1. How does it affect his legacy at the club? Um do we stop singing about something that happened Ten years I've, ago,
0: we should we should stop singing about that <laughs> anyway. It's I, it's not like the Pablo Zabaleta chant where you know or when we win the league, blah blah blah. It's a song about Liverpool who aren't City's biggest rivals. It's not even that good of a tune. We City have won more than five in a row regularly in title challenges anyway since. So it's not even that impressive of a, an achievement when you go back to it. So, yeah, I think you should stop singing it anyway. If I hear anyone singing in Istanbul, they're getting a bonk on the edge. But um that'll do. <laughs> that'll do for part one. Um Join us momentarily as we continue some of your listener questions. Name a better bargain than goal machine Erling Haaland for £52 million. Pounds. Well, Almost everything available on the Discount Dragon website, of course. It's the best place to find all of your favourite household names for affordable prices, with money to be saved on food, drinks, alcohol, household items and even pet products. Move quick and you can grab an extra 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. That's 5% off all orders using the code CITYPODSAVE. Limited time only, terms and conditions apply, UK only. Welcome back to the City Report Podcast. As I've said multiple times by now, a massive week on this show. Make sure you're following, you're subscribing, so you can listen along to all of our coverage in the build-up to the Champions League final. I nearly forgot what it was. Um, we've made a half-time sub, Adam. We've brought in some extra firepower. Andrew Detmer's joining us to, to finish off reeling through the final few parts of this listener question special. Andrew, straight on the back of a Taylor Swift concert. Firstly,
2: how was it? Secondly, how are you? Uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, much like uh, cities march to putting themselves in history, I would say it's something that can bring everyone together, uh, unless you hate joy and uh, happiness. So I'm
1: in wonderful spirits. I think cities march uh, to to history has has brought everybody together. It's just for different reasons than your <laughs> yeah, it's valid. Uh, you're insinuating there. <laughs> that is yeah. a fair point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, okay, let's crack on with the questions then because we've got a, a good few to get through before we call uh, call time on today's episode. But let's start off with this one from Michael Beckett who says, where is Stone's rating in the hours slash the league's best center half?" Now, let's say, Adam, this is currently, because I think by the time John Stones retires, he hopefully has a few more medals to show in his trophy cabinet, but he also has obviously evolved his game a little bit this year. God knows where he'll end up in the next few seasons under Pep, probably starting behind Haaland or something in the, uh, in the Martinez role we've just mentioned. But um, I've got different answers, I think, for both of these questions. So I'll pass it over to you to start off with. Where does John Stones rank in City's best centre-backs and is it different to the the list of the league's best centre-halves?
1: Well, I think it's a complicated question because similarly to what we had in the last probably 10 years with fullbacks, the the kind of the role of the fullback has changed. You know, back in the Mm. day, it was simply to be level with the back four and it was all about can they be a one-on-one defender against wingers out in space and so on and so forth and and tuck in and, and deal with strikers while everybody played 4-4-2. Whereas obviously now in this modern in modern football, thanks to Pep Guardiola and, and some other kind of forward-thinking coaches, a lot of the center backs have to be ball-playing center backs. And mm. if you're considering John Stones as a ball-playing center back, which he, he obviously is, he's probably the best center back on the team. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best defender. I think he's a great defender. He's uh, he's doesn't he hardly puts a foot wrong in defense these days. But if you're giving me a one-on-one with a big burly striker, I'd, I'd want Ruben Diaz in there probably to do mm. the defending. Um, but in all-around game for what central defenders do in 2023, I think he's the best centre-back in the team.
0: That's a fair shout. I think I'm going to go with the league question first. I'm going to say John Stones is the best centre-back in the league because not only is he quality in every single department, he's reinventing what that role does. I actually think in terms of centre-back, and I sort of throw in the same, uh, the same sphere of this question as most important defender to City, I think Ruben Diaz is probably more important to City than John Stones is, and I know that's a sort of like a weird paradox, but I think without Ruben Diaz, City don't do what they've done this season, but at the same time, John Stones is better than Ruben Diaz. and
2: I, I know it's a little bit weird, Andrew, but do you, do you get my gist? Do you see where I'm coming from? Do you agree, more importantly? I think on an intangible level, and the leadership and the belief, I could agree with you on what DS brings but I actually think in terms of their ability to impact the pitch it's the inverse City didn't look like we currently look and would not have been on their way to what we could end up winning at the end of this week if not for what John Stones does in midfield. Uh, John McKenzie of the TIFO podcast mm. who uh, probably is the biggest non City fan John Stones lover um, was had a tweet that was talking about how you know it looks like he has played center mid his entire life, the way he's playing this, but there's a tweet Hmm. that someone responded to it that for me is my favorite thing I've ever seen someone say about John stones, which is that Pep didn't convert a center back into a defensive mid. He freed a King to ascend to his rightful station. Like John stones (laughs) is not, if you look at John stones and say, okay, he's the best center back in the world. You can make that argument, but I think you're missing what makes John stones what he is. I mean, the best way I've heard it described is he's a false five. Like he's not a a center back playing a center back. He is an entirely different and unique set of skills that allows him to basically from box to box, impact the game, carry the ball, pass, maneuver, defend. I mean, he's just, he's everything that Pep Guardiola could want in someone that he's putting nominally in the position of center back. Right. And so I just think, thank god we didn't sell him to arsenal and that you know laporte got mm-hmm. injured and he came back into the team and it kind of restarted his career because it would be a crime to the world of football if we had never seen what he has become this season
0: i i obviously i agree thank god we didn't sell him to arsenal because this year's title might have been a little bit different amongst <laughs> many other things but on on the point you make about john stone sort of city not being here without john stone's john stone's doing that in midfield perhaps but adam Rico Lewis was the man who sort of started that off and I'm not for a second saying Rico Lewis would have been able to play 30-odd games this season from the start of the year in that position at 18 years old and City would have still been in this position. I'd assume that probably wouldn't be the case but for me the the, the turning point was getting Ruben Diaz and John Stones back in the same team but more importantly after the World Cup when Ruben Diaz looked like he was about 55 years old playing football with his mates at a five-a-side pitch, that that introduction of him, back, or reintroduction of him back into the team for me, I felt was the, the turning point with the defence and really starting to sort of build from the back, freeing up the likes of Erling Haaland to be able to run in behind and the players to play those balls because they knew they had the security with Ruben Diaz. But at the same time, I don't think there's anyone better in world football than John Stones.
1: Yeah, I think there is one interesting tweak though that when we originally saw kind of Rico Lewis step into midfield from the back four. Obviously, he was stepping in from a fullback position, but there was a little bit of a tweak in, I guess it would have been April that Pep did, which was he reintroduced Kyle Walker to the team, or it was Manuel Akanji playing in the farthest right position, which I think is what we saw against Bayern. And he actually had John Stones tucking into midfield from center back, not from a fullback position. So that's where I think this became the John Stones role, not the Rico Lewis role that John Stones perfected because John Stones was doing it from a center-back mm. partnership, not as you know a fullback. And then there was a partnership of Ake and Diaz or Akanji and Diaz, whoever it was. So there was that little bit of a tweak that was able to get Kyle Walker back into the team and still have John Stones step into midfield from the defense. So he, I'd say Rico Lewis ran – so that <laughs> – what, what's the saying? Rico Lewis walks so that John up. Stones could – Could run. Yeah, yeah. yeah, either way. John Stones is waltzing now. He's not doing walking any or running. He's waltzing <laughs> around the pitch. He's, he's gliding around Would the pitch. Would you argue he's uh, levitating around the pitch? He's Wait. levitating around the pitch, yes. Um, but you know, there's, there's that turn that, that has obviously gone very viral on social media now from the FA Cup final where he had about three mm-hmm. United players closing in on him, and he just turned – effortlessly like there was no one there. It looked like a training drill and there was just a cone behind him, not three United players pressing to win an FA Cup final. Um, I think that he has now made the role his own. It wasn't It wasn't a role designed for him. It was designed for Enrico Lewis or potentially mm. Jao Cancelo, whoever it is. Um, but he has made it his own because of his very unique skill set.
0: Yeah, and, and and that's a nice place to park that conversation i think you know we can all agree we're incredibly blessed to be viewing it and i i'm enjoying watching the transformation i know we, we've spoken like footballers have spoken about the uh, Messi messy into false nine before but it's obviously at a time where for me personally i was a little bit younger and i didn't properly get to see the before and the after but to see john stones having been a world-class center half and now to see him sort of pioneering a role you know trent alexander arnold at liverpool only started doing that after john stones was doing it so well so it is um it is fantastic to see um let's move on to another question then because this one comes from man city talk it comes for they say if we win the treble would this be city's greatest ever achievement or is it possible for them to go and go on and win the quadruple um andrew let's start with you on this one obviously i feel like a number of times in the past, the quadruple has been spoken about in relation to City and whether or not they would be able to go and do it. I think we probably came closest what would have been in 2019, when obviously lost to Tottenham in the Champions League quarterfinal. Yeah. Um, then the, the season later or the season after that would have been the Chelsea final in the, in the Champions League and um, the defeat to Chelsea in the FA Cup as well. But it never felt tangible. It never felt like it was truly realistic. It always felt that like perhaps one day would come where City get knocked out of a competition, the Champions League, whatever cup competition it will, may be. This treble is sort of, I almost feel like it snuck up on City in a, in a sense over like the sort of last five months or so. City were bad at the start of the season, or weren't bad, but weren't as good at the start of the season, and then they just got into full rhythm. Do you think it'd be possible to do that across the full 38 ga- game campaign in the Premier League? then every other cup competition and eventually win the quadruple? Or is the treble, fingers crossed, as good as it might get
2: for City? I I don't think it's as good as it might get, just from the standpoint of that you could absolutely... You could win a quadruple. It'd be very difficult to do. Um, Even winning a treble is difficult. But there are other things that could potentially be out there, but the chances of them occurring are so minimal that I do think this is likely the opportunity to etch your name into history as a city team that won't be beat. Um, But I will say one thing that I think that we maybe underestimate here is if we do go on to win this Champions League title, it does really change city's dynamics in the Champions League because we will have won it before. And we have seen that it is much harder to win your first Champions League than it is to go on to win other Champions Leagues because it is such a big mountain to climb. So the hardest part of winning a treble is the Champions League because of the amount of quality, because of the period of time you're competing in it over. So maybe City could go on to match this or do something else, but by and large, winning your first trouble, that's not going to ever be beat. There's a reason only one team has done it in uh, English football lore. So I Mm. think this is probably a team where if it happens, they're being talked about 100 years from now as maybe the greatest city side still.
0: Yeah, and as well, on top of that, obviously Liverpool came very, very, very close to doing the quadruple. The first team, I think, truly ever to have really got that close to achieving it, obviously, bar a couple of Vilkai Gundwan goals and a Vinny Junior back post tapping, they, they probably would have done. Um, but I, I, I don't know, Adam. Is there any? This sounds ridiculous, but. Is it good for football if City do the quadruple? Is it good for the fan base if City do the quadruple in terms of, you know, just sort of completely monopolising competition and winning everything? Or do you feel like perhaps this season, and and I speak from a personal point of view, but this season has been so enjoyable because as much as people say there hasn't been any jeopardy in City's run to two trophies and potentially a third, I felt, you know, on this show, I wrote off City's chances of winning the Premier League. I wrote off City's chances of winning any other trophies. Because I just didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think we had that in us. So do you think it would be good for the club if they had a full season of perfection, won it all? Would it really sort of matter? Would it would it be remembered as such, in sort of uh, heralded as much as a treble? You know, do you know what I'm getting at? It sounds ridiculous, but, you know, is winning everything good for City or would it be as fantastic as it sounds?
1: The one word you mentioned there is is jeopardy. If there is jeopardy involved, Mm. then I don't care the extent of how City monopolize competitions. If they want to win 17 competitions in a season, but there's jeopardy and there's other good teams that spend money and have great players and great managers and City come out on top of that, fantastic. Absolutely love it. If it's similar to the Bundesliga where, you know, this, this summer City go out and buy Martin Odegaard, William Saliba, and Aaron Ramsdale, it, you know, I <laughs> wouldn't take much joy in it. I wouldn't have much interest in it mm. because it is it is a bit boring. Um, but at the moment, no, nothing that City have ever won has ever been boring because there has been jeopardy. Yeah. There's been 15 game winning streaks when your closest title, ri- title rival wins 14 on the bounce. And you just win that one more to get over the line. It's beating Real Madrid and Bayern Munich on the way to a Champions League, not, you know, Malmo and Dinamo Kiev. Like, there has been unreal amounts of jeopardy that make it interesting. So, no, I I don't care the extent of, of the monopolization of success because there has been jeopardy and there has been reasons for it to be tense and feel like oh, there is something at stake here. If it got to a point where there was truly no Jeopardy, nothing at stake, and it's just wake up in the morning, you know, write in a little green W before the game is even played, then yeah, I've got Mm. no interest in that. But that's never been the case. And with the money in the Premier League, the managers in the Premier League, that's never going to be the case.
0: Yeah, I think bar the Centurion season, which was incredible for obvious reasons, I've never... I've enjoyed them, but I've never enjoyed them as much as a tight title race. Those seasons where City have won the league with a few games to spare, sort of waltzed away, usually been knocked out of the other competitions as well, it has to be said. So the season was done and dusted by sort of late April, early May. I do enjoy those, like Adam says, those ones where it's 15 games, blow for blow for blow. And hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll say it now, I hope we've got a title challenger next year, if we are to be as lucky as being in that position. And it leads nicely, actually, onto the uh, the the. the Penny penultimate, I learned a new word lately, the the one before the penultimate question. It comes from an anonymous submission. It says, if we win the treble, and you can take this one, Andrew, what impact do you think that will have in terms of summer signings? Do you think they will keep the same squad, or do you think they will make many changes? And, and probably the obvious starting point for this one is Ilkay Gundogan, who is in contract talks. By all reports, City have got an offer on the table. If that's sufficient for Gundogan yet, we don't know. But it does feel like there's a couple of names in that squad where if City do win it all, they have conquered everything there's to conquer in English football, obviously European football, bar the likes of the Europa League, the Super Cup, the Club World Cup, etc. They may go, right, okay, if I've had enough, I'm going to leave. And that'll be fine. it would happen on good terms. Do you expect that to happen much if City win on Saturday?
2: I'm torn of two minds and I think it's really a player by player decision of how they see it because starting with someone like Gundogan, if Gundogan is viewing the idea of playing at Barcelona because he wants a new challenge at this stage in his career, then I think winning the trouble probably locks in that he leaves because he views the opportunity to leave, not because he wants to leave city for any particular reason. Um, it's just to get something new and, you know, now that we're hearing reporting that it sounds like City's contract offer is basically the same length of time as any other competing offer. I think it comes down to, you know, what does he want? And so if his thought is, I want something new, then this is a great way to sign off. But if he was looking, I want stability, I want, you know, some final chapter, then I think a treble. And I think you could look at someone like Bernardo similarly. Maybe this may, if we win, Bernardo decides... It's time to go back to Iberia, be close to family. But you could also say they win and they realize it's never going to get better than what I have right now with this team and this group of players who all clearly care about one another and love it. I mean, you can see it in the celebrations at the FA Cup, the way that even someone like Holland, who, you know, strikers, particularly strikers like him, are notoriously selfish dicks. uh, He was excited for (laughs) Gundogan, right? Um, And Mm. he was as excited when he wins the corner at the end of the game to help City (laughs) win, right? Like those are things that are intangible that are hard to find elsewhere. And so if those players realize it's not going to get better, maybe they do stay. But I think it's just such a personal viewpoint of what the trouble and what that can mean for them that I don't know that we can really predict how it affects outgoings and incomings.
1: I think this is an easy one for me. Where Pep goes, the rest go. Not in the sense that, you know, they'll follow him <laughs> if he toilet? leaves. and Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? If I was around Pep, I'd follow him everywhere too, including the <laughs> toilet. But in the sense that it, I don't think that, you know, winning the treble or the quadruple or anything at City at this given time feels like a peak that you can only go down from. Because... You, you you talk about John Stones we've already been talking about him on this episode look at the evolution for him as a player mm. if you're a player in this team you think what's the next evolution what's Pep going to turn me into and so there's no reason to feel like there isn't you know a continued slope upwards at this team no matter how much yeah. you win because if you are you know Rico Lewis and obviously it's a bit of a different comparison because he's a, a local lad and and loves the club and You know, Phil Foden is the same way, but you know, whoever it may be Holland, Holland may win the quadruple and everyone says, all right, he's conquered things at city. He should go on to Madrid now or Bayern or wherever and, and have Mm -hmm. a new chapter, but look at his evolution as a player from the community shield to now. He's going to be thinking, what's next? Is he going to turn me into Messi? Is is he going to turn me into somebody that can not only be a penalty box poacher, but can step into midfield and link up Mm -hmm. and dribble and do all the evolution of the team from year to year? You know, it's not stagnant. It's not a team that just does the same thing. The players are the play the same way and they win and win and win every year. There's evolutions and evolutions and evolutions. And no matter how much you win, you're going to be asking yourself, what's the next evolution? And players are going to want to be a part of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's less about City winning the treble, City winning the quadruple, City winning the sextuple, whatever it may be. It's more about Pep Guardiola. So I I certainly subscribe to that one. Um, Two more questions. I'm conscious we're running out of time. So let's try and get through these as quick as we can. Got one from Declan Follows, who a good friend of mine, Declan Follows, just don't ask him where the toilet is. Um, Andrew, you can take it. If Gundogan, and I'll sort of reinvent it a little bit and and I'll add a few more branches to it. But if Gundogan, say, say Gundogan leaves this summer, but City don't win the Champions League. Is he a legend? Say City don't win the Champions League in his time at City, but stays another two years. Did those goals against United etch him into that legend status? Or if he stays another two years and within that time, City win the Champions League, is he already there because of what's happened? Does he need the Champions League to become a legend or is it already there with
2: those goals against United? I don't think he needs uh, the Champions League to become a legend, I do think that winning the Champions League, though, puts him on a status similar to Vinny, Aguero, and David Silva to where mm. their impact and their legacy at the club is of such that they are on a different plane of existence. Um, and frankly for me, if he you know leaves this summer and we win it, I feel the same way. If he we don't win it and he leaves, I think he's just below them but he's still a legend in my eyes. Um, but if we win a Champions League that he's the captain of, then, I mean, he's City's first captain to lift the Champions League. He wins the Aston Villa, you know, match to win mm. the Premier League, all of the goals this season. I mean, just he's a legend already. It's end of.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm in that camp, but as well, at the same time, I think the, the evolution of the club, you do need to sort of like, I don't know, the, the levels, the barriers mm-hmm. to becoming a legend do need to step up a little bit. And maybe a conversation for another day is the Gundwan versus Jayatore debate, because I think that is really one that mm-hmm. we could get our teeth stuck into with a little bit more time. But um, finally, then Adam, final question coming from Anno Magusha, who has said... Does City risk being labelled a total failure if they fail to win the Champions League this season? And I think obviously the obvious answer is no. City have got two trophies already, but I know what they're getting at in the sense that does failure to from this point on against Inter Milan, who we you know we referenced beforehand, is not going to be an easy game by any means. But realistically, City should wipe the floor with them. Being said, does failure in that game? Then turn this season into a little bit of a failure given the fact the treble was there, it was in sight. And I know this is sort of proper Burt dooming. We've not even played the game yet, but I don't know. My, my answers in this, I think, are mixed and I don't want to put a name to them just yet, but it's an interesting question nonetheless.
1: No, I don't think it's a failure. Um, it will be really disappointing to not win given. What you've gone through to get to this point, you've overcome, what, a nine-point gap at one point in the league. Mm. You've overcome playing, you know, United in a final. Never been done before, for us at least. You've overcome Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and kind of all these hurdles that maybe you weren't supposed to, at least from our point of view, you know, we we didn't, we didn't weren't happy going into a semifinal against Real Madrid. We kind of saw the signs mm. and... There was all these things that have kind of been unprecedented. It would be really disappointing for City to not go on and do another unprecedented thing for us, mm. which is win the Champions League. But then, you know, come next August when when the next season kicks off, you look back and say, "You want to, you know, a third league in a row? You won only your second FA Cup under Pep Guardiola, the second after uh, post takeover, and you did it by beating United in the final." Then, no, it's not. Uh, it's not a failure. It's funny. I wanted to mention this because it was my last show before the Champions League final. Take I this thought you a to grain say of, ever.
0: I thought you, I thought you were really ris- <laughs> yeah, I've, I've,
1: I've got really big news, guys. He's, he's pulling a gun um, to one and just walking I'm off. On and now. I'm cashing yes. out. I'm liquidating our assets, all $7 <laughs> and I'm running. Um, no, uh, what I wanted to say was. <sighs> I'm almost slightly disappointed there is a Champions League final to come this weekend in the sense that had we finished a season by beating United in an FA Cup final like you don't finish a season better mm. than that simple as that no matter what happens in Istanbul and and obviously winning a treble that's you know probably going to be the club's crowning achievement but like how how great would it be to end a season beating United in a cup final? What you're saying is you wish season. the Champions
2: League had been this past weekend and then the cup yeah, final.
1: F- for instance, yeah, that would have been great too, to still have a chance at the treble, but to have done it by beating United in the final <laughs> game. Like it, it feels like it feels like almost a burden that we just beat United in an FA Cup final. And I've got to think about something. I've got to think about Ed and Dzeko on a counterattack. <laughs> I don't want to be thinking I, I, about that. I, I, I want to be thinking about beating United at, at Wembley.
2: What, what Adam, what Adam Booker is saying here is uh, he is dreaming of a uh, all Manchester uh, Champions League final. Oh <laughs> God!
1: Oh God! No! But you, you, do, you oh, get what God. I'm you get yeah. what I'm saying. Like we've already kind I of had to switch say. our attention to something other than beating United in an FA Cup final.
2: It's it's what Pep said but though, that, where he talked about you have to like why he let them celebrate and he gave them some time off is you have to celebrate these things when they happen because the way football Mm -hmm. works is you immediately turn the page. Like, Let's say we win the treble. We're going to get a few days to celebrate. Then the players are all gone. It's silly season for transfers. And then suddenly the next Premier League season has started and we're back to like, we will not Mm -hmm. have taken advantage to celebrate these things enough. And it's always that way. And it's unfortunate, which is why we have to live in this moment and celebrate and experience all of this together.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 funnily enough, I subscribe more to to Andrew's point because I just feel like if we, if our last game of the season, I think this was a bit of the case for United. Really, was they their season was on the line against City. That was what they had to play for. And I think without the Champions League final after it maybe city would have been you know maybe maybe they'd have been a little bit more reserved maybe they'd have been a little bit more cagey knowing that was the season an fa cup final against the rivals to finish off the campaign that's what united had and i felt felt like it affected their game a little bit i don't know but obviously um we'll have to wait and see to saturday but that'll do for today chaps andrew thank you very much for jumping in and joining us i really appreciate that thank you very much cheers Adam, as you alluded to, you are on the clock for the remainder of the week. This is your final appearance before the final. I'm glad to say not final appearance of all time. You will be back next week to hopefully review the treble that you've just lambasted. Um, And if anything goes wrong, it's on you. But um, any last words before we get out there?
1: Yes, I do have some last words. I just wanted to say, because it is my last show before, really, transfer season and the next season, uh, I just want to say a big thank you to all the listeners. You know, Amos, you and I started this podcast what about a year and a half ago and Mm -hmm. i think maybe 60 something people listened to the first episode and uh now there are literally many thousands of you and uh that's incredible vindication for the hard work we've done to try and make this as enjoyable for you guys as it is to record these episodes so i just wanted to say a very very heartfelt thank you to everybody that listens every day and engages with us online and and all of that it's uh it's incredible and i feel very grateful and emotional that it exists
0: look at you being nice there we go there's a turn up for the books for starters yeah i, I feel had to like, i uh, had to
1: warm up the ice cold heart for about yeah, it's like, three uh, minutes it's there.
0: like scrooge at the end of uh, a christmas carol um <laughs> listeners don't go anywhere though we've got plenty of stuff coming for the remainder of the week don't worry about that if you haven't already follow subscribe as usual we'll be back tomorrow with a sort of officially switching attentions fully to the champions league final that's coming tomorrow so don't go anywhere until next time then we'll see you later